Okay, this week is Tazriya Mitzayra. Last year we talked about Saras a little bit, about leprosy. When I was preparing, I originally was thinking to do something on the other Tumis. The other, we have the bulk of the, a parsha and a half talks about Saras, about leprosy. And the second half of Mitzayra, we have Kedi and Zov, and Nida and Zava, which are called Tuma Kala and a Tuma Hamura. Two different. So I was thinking maybe I'll do something on Zava and Zava or things like this, but I had a difficult time finding information. I looked in the Tzamach Tzedek, not a word on Zava. Neither the Tzamach had it. On Zava, there's the, the, the different types of Tuma that have to do with body omissions, whether they're natural or they're diseased. If they're natural, they're called Keri and Nida, man and woman respectively. And if they're illnesses, they're called Zava and Zava, man and woman respectively. And there's all kinds of halachas about these Tumas. They're considered a very severe Tuma because it's called Tuma Yetimigufi. There's different types of spiritual impurities. One of the most severe is the Tuma Yetimigufi, when the Tuma comes out of the body itself. But I, I thought better of it because I couldn't find information. I came to Yeshiva tonight and I mentioned to Rabbi Jacobson that I was planning to do Zov and Zov. I couldn't find information. He said, oh, I know a whole bunch of sikhs. So maybe next year. So I changed to Mikveh. Very nice. I switched to Mikveh. Mikveh, as you know, is the basic mechanism for purification from a spiritual impurity. There are exceptional uh, ways of being purified to spiritual impurity. For example, if one has encountered a dead body, they need ash of paraduma, the blood, the ash of the red heifer, to purify them. And a leper, a mitzeda, needs um, the 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 the, shake, the shaving off all of his hair and the spraying of the bird, the, the blood of the bird, and sending it out of the camp and so forth. No, it's a totally different, different tumor. It's, it's a very severe tumor also. A mitzayda is a tumor, a tumor midras, which is the most severe kind of a tumor. But, but it's a totally different kind of tumor. A tumor is, it's called tumor sha'al I believe it says. Nida and zav and zav are yetzi They come from inside the body. It's a very severe tumor. Tzaras requires for purification <coughs> to be isolated, and then when the person is cleared from the tzaras, they have to take two birds and you shecht one of them and you dump you you dunk the other bird with some different materials into the blood of the dead bird. You sprinkle it on the dead person. You have to wait seven days and so forth. So there are exceptions. No, it's called the tmeimes, and for this you have to have the paraduma. Actually, the paraduma. Yeah. The rule is, the rule essentially is. That pretty much, if you're a tummy, you gotta go to mikvah. Sometimes, before you go to mikvah, you gotta do other stuff, like the ashes of paraduma, or the bloods of the taras, and then you go to the mikvah. When a person goes to the mikvah, as a rule, there's only one exception: you go by day, you don't go by night. The only exception is nida. Tafka by day. When a person travels in the mikvah, they're not pure yet. They're called the tvu yoyim. They've titled that day, the setting of the sun makes them pure. Okay, so whatever kind of tumma it is, there's different kinds of tumma. There's a tumma of nevela, of a dead body, or a sheret, uh, touching a reptile or a rodent. Um, the tumma of 
Saras, we have to have other stuff, and Paradum, we have to have other stuff, or lesser measures of Tumor, like a Shaini Lutumor, a Shlish Lutumor, you would have to. So sometimes you have to do things before the mikvah, but then you have to go to the mikvah until the nightfall. And then there are occasions where there is something that follows the mikvah, and that's a carbon. This is called a machusel kipurim. That you you tell the mikvah, you wait for the sun to set, so you're no longer a tummy for tol yoyim, and if you would be a koyin, you'd be allowed to eat truma, but you would not be allowed to go into the base. Amitash, the following day, whenever your opportunity came, you would bring a carbon. And then you become pure to go into the base of Mikdash. If you didn't bring that carbon, you'd be in bad trouble. And there are four Mukhusri Kipurim, there are four Tumas which require not just mikvah and something before mikvah, but also the carbon after mikvah. A yeldus, a woman who has a baby, a zav and a zava, a man or a woman who have an omission from the body which is diseased as opposed to natural, and a matayna, a leper. They're, they have to bring carbonus. So the way I'm articulating it, in other words, is pretty much, if you were Tommy, you got to go to mikvah. Sometimes there are things that you do prior to the mikvah. Sometimes there are things that you're going to do subsequent to the mikvah. But you got to go to the mikvah. Mikvah is a central component of Tumantara. So this is the topic we're going to touch on. We're going to talk about mikvah. We're not going to learn the laws of mikvah. We're going to learn Taimeha mikvah. There different reasons for the mikvah. There's a lot of very interesting different reasons that are separate from one another by a hair. Not much of a difference, but interesting different commentaries on mikvah. Of course, Kabbalah and Hasidus always add something really solid to the discourse. But I want to make a preface. And that is this. There's a Gemara. I once heard this pshat from a mashpia of mine. A real mashpia of mine. And I think it's a credible pshat. The Gemara says, if you want to be wise, learn business law. If you want to be a smart person, learn business law. Take a mother, take a mother above a bus. What is the meaning of this statement? Obviously, business law teaches you street smarts, it teaches you the wisdom of the reality of the world. But this mashpi of mine said something that I consider very, very credible. He said, Torah has different levels. There are things in Torah which are only logical if you believe first. There are things in Torah which are so critically logical or so logical that even if you take faith out of the equation, they'll still make sense. So the Gemara says the aspect of Torah, the dimension of Torah, which is so logical that you can almost argue this idea without the Torah is business law. In other words, we have six basic areas of law. Zroim, Moyid, Noshim, Muzik, and Kodeshim, and Tanis. Zroim means the laws of agriculture. Moed means the laws of time, holidays, Shabbat, Yom Tov, Sabbat. Nashim means the laws of, of marriage and divorce and vows and so forth. Nezikim means business law. And of course also liability, the laws of liability and responsibility. Kadashim means laws of karbonis. And Taras means the laws of pure and impure. These six levels of Taita are all God's wisdom. And they come from heaven to earth. If you will, some have descended further than others. None has descended lower than business law, than Nezikin. Business law in Taita is so logical that if you take God out of business law, it doesn't change very much. The truth is it would change, every aspect would change a tiny drop, but only a tiny drop. And the proof is every system of jurisprudence that's current is based heavily on the Talmud. They're not following the Talmud for the laws of hygiene. 
<laughs> they're not following the Talmud for the laws of of, uh, of spirituality and fineness and separating man from animal to the contrary looking in the Talmud door whatever the Talmud says not to do but business law is completely logical so the argument is this trade is God's wisdom God gave it to us God allows us to understand it some of it comes down to us some of it we need to go to in other words some levels of Torah are so logical a human being as such simply as a rational human being says yeah this is this makes sense this is true other things in Torah in order to make sense you have to accept the premise of Hashem to accept the premise of spirituality accept the premise of things that are more than material so if you were to take the six orders of Mishnah and say, okay, put them in order of least to most humanly comprehensible. Alternatively, put them in order of most to least spiritual, which is the highest, which really means the most difficult to comprehend, which is the lowest, which means the most comprehensible, Nezikin would be at the bottom. Kodeshim, Taharis would be someplace near the top. Kodbonas would probably be the least comprehensible. But the laws of Taharis, the laws of purity, um, are are logical but there's a lot of faith that's the foundation of that logic in other words once you accept the premises the foundations of the notion of pure and impure there's so much wisdom so much logic so much reason to the whole domain to the whole realm of tahir of pure versus impure so when you learn about mikvah, you say, well, let's give reasons. Why do we go to the mikvah? What's the meaning of mikvah? What's the significance of mikvah? What's the effect of mikvah? You have to establish a premise. And the premise is, we want to understand the reason of mikvah with the understanding that this is Abishtas Teda. And the Abishtas Teda is the opposite of how we reason. We reason from more human to more spiritual, from more real to less real. Hashem's reason is inverse. Hashem comes from Ein Sof. Hashem comes from a place of infinity and transcendence and gives us His wisdom and it descends from higher to lower. So when you ask, I, I touched a rodent, so I, 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 I can't go to the base. I make this 24 hours. I touched an animal. It was alive, I'm pure. It's dead, I'm impure. I, I shechted an animal. Shechted an animal. Turned out the behemoth was taif, I became tummy. Behemoth kosher, not tummy. What's the difference? Same piece of meat. These kinds of notions are spiritual. The ability to begin to understand them requires an asura mikamli eskadalasham. I must depart from here to go there. The laws of business don't require a departure because they're really grounded. They're in this world. Mikvah is a classic example of the discourse of Tumantara. It's the center of purity. It's the center of purity, as I illustrated in my first introduction, the wisdom to mikvah is founded on the assumption that we're dealing with God's wisdom. God's wisdom is true, notwithstanding that I can't argue it in a court of law, I can't argue it biologically, I can't argue it physically or, or uh, materially, but I, it, it makes sense on a level of spirit, on a level of soul, on a level of neshama. I think... Did you, did you say, uh, Shochet, if you would have um, shecked an animal and it turned out that it wasn't kosher, 
and he handled it. Now he's Tuma. Yeah. So he has to like disengage from. No, he has to do nothing. He wants to go into the base of Mikdash, he's got to disengage. Oh, but he can continue to shaft He's not going into the base of Mikdash. We're all Tommy. Gotcha. These laws are relevant under unique circumstances. Now, 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 how does purity and impurity work? The first thing that's interesting about pure and impure is impurity. Before we get to Tad, let's talk about Tuba. There's a strange phenomenon about impurity. For the event of impurity to exist, you have to be important. Stones cannot be impure. If you made a cup out of stone, cannot be impure. Made a cup out of earth, unless you baked it in an oven and you made it into an earthenware vessel, cannot be impure. Animals can never be impure. They can make you impure. They're not impure. A guy doesn't acquire tumah. The Chacham, the Mugoy, said that every guy, even a Ben has a din of a, of a Zov, which is a very severe tumor. But this is a rabbinic... Which means if you touch a guy? Yeah. Uh, wait, 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 go back. The rabbi said that every guy has a din of a it's, it's a really offense that the Chacham made between Yidin and Goyim. But a guy, certainly a living guy, cannot conduct tumor. Only a Yid can conduct tumor. So when he said you touch a guy, what, please touch... Not, today, we don't worry about these tumors. There's no base on Mikdash. We're all unclean anyway. We all go to cemeteries. There's no ash of Parad Duma. We're all in a perpetual state of tumor. The only tumor we really concern ourselves with is Nida. And those of us who have a connection to Chesidus, to a higher standard, we try to concern ourselves also with a male omission, with Keri, what's called Tumas Ezra. It's little as Ezra. And a person needs to, you go to the Mikvah. No, Tumas is with Manas. It depends which Tumas. The Baal leaders is a chorus. No, but Arroyus is a din in Tumas and Tara, no? And, you know, you're right. Fine. So, you're therefore, what's the next question? No, no, no. So, the first Tumas and Tara is not applicable. You, even in times of the base on Mikdash, you have no chiyah to be pure unless you're a chorus. You can walk around Tumas your whole life. Comes Yomtif. You have to go to the base of Mikdash. That's right. You have to make yourself tired. There's no obligation to be pure. Why is this? That there seems to be a gravitation of Tumah to Kedusha. And of course, the, the answer is a spiritual one. It's not a biological one. It's a spiritual one. The spiritual answer is that Tumah is a product of the presence of Klippa, of living energy that's negative. And this living energy that's negative is trying to draw from positive energy. Klipa, the evil forces that Hashem created, have very limited lifespans. Their life expectancy is broadened when we're imperfect. When we do an Aveda, we're nourishing, we're sustaining. Klipas that otherwise have a relatively short life expectancy. So Klipa is constantly trying to find the weakness in the Jew. Just like we understand biologically that every human being, the other human being is perpetually infected by scores, maybe hundreds of bacteria and viruses and other kind of diseases. And the person is perfectly healthy. And the bacteria and the viruses sit in the person's body dormant. They're not given the opportunity to multiply because the body will kill off those expansions until the person is weak. The person is hungry, the person is cold, the person is tired. There isn't sufficient energy to go around. They become sick. 
the onset of the sickness doesn't begin when the person becomes cold or hungry. The expression of the sickness manifests then. But you're not going to find bacteria in a place where there's no life because there's nothing to nourish the bacteria. You'll only find bacteria, sick life, where there is healthy life. And the sick life is trying to find an opportunity to take some of the life from the healthy entity. It's called a parasite. But it cannot do it when the healthy entity is really healthy. When the healthy entity has weakness, the parasite then takes advantage of that shortcoming and nourishes itself. If the parasite would succeed in killing the weakened organism, the parasite would eventually kill itself because there's no longer an opportunity for renewal of life, for sustaining life. It's spiritually identical with Tumah. Tumah is found with this Tahara, with this Kedusha. Because Klippa wants to live. And in order to live, it needs to connect itself to Kedusha and to draw from Kedusha. Klippa is trying to take from Kedusha. So the more holiness there is, the more there are negative forces, negative living things trying to take life from Kedusha. But, so long as the Kedusha is healthy, just like a person who is completely healthy biologically, they can carry all these diseases around and they'll never manifest, they'll never express themselves. Spiritually, so long as the Kedusha is strong, Klippa cannot take. That's the concept of Tumah. The concept of Tumah is not only an absence of life. The concept of Tumah is a weakening of life with, which affects the onset of negative living. The negative living is the Tumah. Where you have a weakening of Kedusha, Klippa is always ready, willing, and able to attach itself. And Tumah means it is a negative life circumstance, phenomena that attaches itself, that wraps the person. And you have to clean it up. That's why you have to have purification. Tare, you go to the mikveh, you have to have you have to have the tziparim of a matzeda, you have to have various karbonis under the four circumstances that I mentioned before. But this is, this is the, the philosophy of it. Now, does Tumah and Tahara make sense? Does it make sense if a person touches a dead body, they become spiritually impure? Because touching that dead body gives them a connection to something that's somehow alive, but alive in such a diminished way. There's a huge force of negative life taken from it, and you become affected by it. It makes sense if you understand Ruchnius. It doesn't make sense if you understand biology and chemistry, but if you understand Ruchnius, you understand spirituality, it makes sense. Is that Ashi, which appears in Chumat in a number of places. And Ashi says, in effect, he brings Amar Abchoma, or Amar Abchoma, that Yidin have many more mitzvahs than Goyim. Even the Goyim are very wonderful, and they're in heaven on our side of the wall, Yehudah HaSipur. <laughs> but they, they have fewer mitzvahs. Why? Because they have less spiritual sensitivity and therefore they have less concerns, less things to be afraid of, less issues that could affect them spiritually in an adverse way, in a negative way. I'll give you a simple example. If a person is not very musical, for them to enjoy music is not very difficult. If a person is exceptionally musical, for them to enjoy music is rare. If a person is not very artistic, for them to enjoy art is not very difficult. If a person is extremely refined and sensitized to what's real art, they're very difficult to please. The same is true in fashion, same is true in 
architecture, in interior design, whatever, cars, remaking engines, three carburetors, and so many uh, uh, horsepower, and so many cylinders, the more expertise you have, the finer the necessity for, for usefulness, for effectiveness. The Ebershtay gave Yidin more mitzvahs, because the Yidin have a spiritual capacity for, for fineness. Because they have a spiritual capacity for fineness, Hashem says, I'm going to teach you how to refine yourself. Some people view it as a lot of limitations and restrictions and, uh, obstru- uh, you know, being boxed in, being imprisoned. But the Abish did saying, you have the capacity to be holy. I'm going to make you, I'm going to teach you how to be holy. And you need to have a finer standard in order to be able to achieve this. Like I told you many times before, if a person is a wine taster, they cannot drink bad wine. They cannot drink bad wine because it tastes terrible. And they cannot drink bad wine because if they drank bad wine, they'd lose their ability to taste fine wine. A coarse person, says in Ayyem Yem, Chafel, take a look. One who is low and coarse, unrefined, is Nishmargish, is not aware that he's coarse and unrefined. A crude person doesn't view crudeness as crudeness. He views it as being ordinary. A fine person, you know, people who, people who are fine, I don't mean religious, fine, are disturbed when people speak loud. And the people who speak loud say, you know, you, you've got an issue, you've got a problem, you, you're, 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 you're afraid of your own shadow. Now, it, that may be the case, but it also may be the case that a person is refined. One of the expressions of refinement is a softness, a softness of step, a softness of communication, a softness of interaction, a softness, touch is soft. Everything is fine. A person doesn't have those sensitivities. Not only is it fine, but believes that person is out to lunch, living in dreamland. When I don't appreciate your feel for music, I'm convinced that you're selling yourself to Brooklyn Bridge. In other words, it's not I don't understand what you understand. I believe that you're imagining it. This is what, this is the problem with spirituality. Talk to a person about the Ruchnius, about spirituality, he says, you're off the wall. You're out of your mind. If I'm going to eat this food, I'm not going to be able to relate to God, or I want to do with the other. But it does. In order to appreciate that eating this food offsets my relationship to God, you have to not eat it. <laughs> and even then, it's not so simple to want to attain that sensitivity. So there are these different standards. There are these different standards. The Abish to set that It's not just Dodi Treif. It's not just uh, don't touch dead body, walk into the base of Mekdash. Live a life of refinement. These mitzvahs, these instructions, this is pure, this is impure, create a sensibility and a sensitivity which opens a person up to spirituality. Spirituality is very difficult to prove, arguably impossible to prove. But we're not learning philosophy. We're learning Taita. In other words, we're not in the proof business. We're in the interpreting what we believe business. And Yiddishkeit says there are very fine levels of ruchnius which a person can attain and it warrants purity. Which leads me to a number of other points. Number one, I mentioned a few moments ago that there is no requirement to be pure unless you're a priest, a koyin. In the times of the Beis HaMittosh, a Kayin was not allowed to be impure for one second more than necessary. If he became spiritually impure in whatever way, he was required to purify himself. An Israelite, a Levite, you have no obligation to be pure except when the Yom Tev 
comes and you do it in a base HaMikdash. However, the Jews who were pious introduced a phenomenon called Chulin B'tara. Chulin B'tara means that the ordinary life, ordinary life should be tohir, should be pure. That even when they're not going into the Beis HaMikdash, their, their, their common piece of bread should be pure. This movement, this group of people who adapted this idea that even though I'm not going to the Beis HaMikdash, I want to live in a state of purity, were called Chaverim, fellows, members of a group, of an inner circle. In the time of the first Beis HaMikdash, it seems there was no necessity to establish this group called fellowship, because everybody, everybody, even simple people, knew and appreciated the spiritual value of purity. We were all Chaverim. Everybody, you became Tony, you went to the Mikveh. You went to the mikvah not because there's a problem or not going to the mikvah. You don't want to be unclean if you can be clean, spiritually speaking. In the time of the second base of mikdash, the spiritual level and uh, care of Yidin diminished. So there was a group called Chaverim. And the Chaverim set standards about not eating in the homes of Amanatim. Not just because of kosher and treif, but because of pure and impure. Now they're trying to create segregation, but they were trying to retain a spiritual fineness which is affected by Tumantara. So the laws are pure and impure. So Hasidah says, and it's explained in Sfarim, in one of the many, many commentaries I have here, in one of the Rikantis, he lists seven categories. There is chulin, or paras akhaydish, eating chulin, ordinary food, in a condition of holiness. There's a second category called maiser sheni, the second tithe had to be eaten with pure dirty. The third standard would be truma, what's given to the priest, to the holy koyin, which has a special halacha of Kedusha and so forth. The fourth would be Kaddishim, uh, Karbanis. And the fifth would be Paraschatas, Paraduma, actually the red heifer. And there are different standards of Tahara for each. A koyin Godel had to be in the highest state of Tahara. A levi had to be in the lesser standard of Tahara. A Jew who was eating mice had to be in a lesser standard of Tahara. And there are all these different standards of Tahara. And um, people tried their best in those days to retain Tahara in the belief that it affects your ability to learn Tahara. It affects your ability to connect to Hashem. It affects your whole life. This is not something you can explain psychologically. It's beyond the psyche. You can only explain it spiritually. But in the realm of spirituality, it's real. In other words, we do have an Ashama. We believe in spirituality, but we're just regular people. In the realm of the spirituality, this was a very, it was a real thing. It affected, a tumma affected a person in an adverse way. Uh, I'll tell you two little things. One is, to me, a most amazing effect, a most amazing thing. The Fidike Rebbe has a description, as a biography of his grandmother, Rebbe Sinifke, his father's mother. It's a long biography. It's a very involved. He knew her well. She raised him. She passed away only six years before her son, his father. She lived a long time. And she was a great tzaddikis, a very fine woman, a very wise woman, and unbelievably religious. The Fidike ever writes, she had six children. Nobody in their home ever raised their voice. She had six children. Six kids is a lot of kids. She was married to the Ramarash. But the parents never raised their voices to the children. The children never raised their voices to the parents. 
the children never raised their voices to one another. Why? Because they were told they're going to get whiplash, they can get the head back to It's an unbelievable fineness of character, Pasha. It's a fineness of character. To be very blunt, I don't want to speak in anybody else's behalf. I'll speak on my behalf. There is shouting in my home. And not just from the four-year-olds. Or the even 12-year-olds. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. just need to be interpreted. Sometimes you need a pshat. Sometimes you need a garment. Sometimes you need a little paint. And sometimes you need to close up the windows. <laughs> Some, just sometimes. A home where nobody shouts. And you're talking about healthy people. They weren't... People, you know, they weren't, sometimes people are just so rigid, they're so psychologically suppressed that they can't raise their voices. They were healthy people. But they, they were pushing to be fine human beings. It's a muscle for Tahara. The second, the Al-Tarebbe had three classes that he taught Hasidus to in the very early years. And he had, it was a hand-selected group of great geniuses and great servants of Hashem whom he personally taught. The first Chayder, the second Chayder, the third Chayder. The highest level was Chayder Aleph. And the lowest level was Chayder Gimel. One of the members of Chayder Aleph was a Chassid, a giant, by the name of Rabzalman Zezmer. Rabzalman Zezmer was the Mashpia of Rabbi Hillel of Parach. Just a small idea of who he was. Now, who was the Hillel of Parach? Leave it for another time. The Alter had a policy that when he said Chassidus for one group, the other groups were not permitted to attend. But it wasn't only that when he said Hasidus for the greater group, the members of the lesser group couldn't attend. But the opposite was also true. When he said Hasidus for Chayda Gimel, for the lowest group, the Talmidim of the higher Chabad were not permitted. The B'zalman Zezma very much wanted to hear the Rebbe's Hasidus that he says to the youngest group. So he asked the guys that they should hide him under the table. And I'm sure he offered them a good prize and reward in return, but it probably wasn't money. Probably he would exchange Hasidus for them. Anyway, he comes into the room and he waits. And then it turns out that the al postponed the chassidus. So he says, you know, I'm going to go lay down. Call me when the Rebbe is coming. So he went and he lay down. The Rebbe came abruptly. So they ran and they woke him up and he came running into the room. I didn't have a chance to watch Negevasa. But it wasn't night. It was daytime. You don't have to watch Negevasa to lay down during the day. He ran into the room. Right, he climbed under the table. The al walks in. As he walks into the door, he says, Ruach Tumme in here. He's a spirit of Tumme. And Abzalman Zezmer ran out. al killed two birds at one stone. He taught him a lesson and he wasn't there by the Hasidus. He said, Ruach Tumme in here. There's third Magid in Al-Tarebbe. Al-Tarebbe was very poor. He came to his Rebbe. And he had one glass. Came Pesach. He couldn't afford to buy another. So he koshered his chametz stick a glass. The way you kosher a glass is you fill it with water to the brim, you let it sit for 24 hours, you empty it, you fill it with water to the brim, you let it sit for 24 hours, three times. This is a halacha. But it's disputed in the Paschim. comes to the Seder, everybody sits down around the table, Al-Tarebbe sits down. The Maggit is down in his place, and he's sitting, he's very uncomfortable, very disturbed. And he's not starting, he's just, just fidgeting, he's just unsettled. Finally, he gets up, he starts walking around the table. He walks, he stops, he walks, he stops, he walks, he stops, he walks, he stops. He comes to the Alter Rebbe. He stops, he stands, he stands, he picks up the cup. Where'd you get the cup? Alter Rebbe tells him the truth. He says that Amor is standing next to me. He's not letting me start to say that he says that in his opinion there's chametz at my table. <laughs> Take the cup away and you'll share mine. 
that this was the Magad of Zeichen. Now, Rabbi Shaddai, the Halakha Magad, but explain that. So that's biology, that's chemistry, that's physics. It's not even psychology. It's Luchnius. The whole phenomenon of Tumentare is in this realm. You, 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 know, you, t- you touch a, a rodent, you become Tommy. A person has a natural body omission, they become Tommy. He's a Ruchnius. The point is, this Ruchnius affects our ability to learn Teda, to connect to the Eibishter, and so on and so forth. And the central mechanism for the, for the correction of Tome is Mikvah. I said to you, sometimes there are things preceding Mikvah. Sometimes there are Karbonis subsequent to Mikvah. But the central issue is Mikvah. So, now that it's according to 11, let's learn about Mikvah. Okay, I, I think the introduction was good and important. So, begin with Rambam. And I'm going to first read a little bit inside. I'm reading where I made the arrow, the very first page. Your staple should be on your left. Dover Baro, this is the very last law of the entire book of Tare in Rambam. Dover Baro, Vigali. This is obvious and well known. Shatum is the whole notion of pure and impure. Gzeras Akosafein, their divine decree. In other words, you can't explain why one is pure and another is not pure. It doesn't make any sense. The Einan Midvarim, it's not in the category of such things, Shedaiti Shaladam Machraata, that the human mind would resolve such. You would never think to say this is a Tumah. You would never think to say this is a Tada and so forth. And therefore, it goes into the category of laws which we call Chukim, unreasonable laws. In the world of Rambam and Asag, there are only two categories of mitzvahs. Shemias and Mukubalis. Shemias means mitzvahs which you can explain, and Shemias and Mukubalis are mitzvahs you cannot explain. The Ramban is the one who introduces us to three categories. A, is Chukim and Mishpatim. But until the Ramban, laws that don't make any sense, Laws that make complete sense and laws that make sense once you accept the Torah. Like Shabbos. Since Hashem created the world in six days, and rested in seven days, so Shabbos makes sense. But you would not invent it on your own. So the Ramban divides mitzvahs into three, but the, the, the Sag and the Rambam and those who came before the Ramban have two categories of mitzvahs. Um, all the laws of Tomentara, Paraduma, Tumasmes, Tsaras, Zova Zova, uh, 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 Tumas the rabbinic Tumas, it's all clear as a cause. It's all higher than human comprehension. V'chein, in addition, the notion of being immersing oneself in water and becoming cleansed from the Tumas, being resensitized, it goes into the category of reasonless laws. She'ein hatuma, tit Tumas is not mud or excrement, which you're sort of washing away with water as you would filth. It's a divine edict that says that when you immerse yourself in water, you become spiritually pure. Stop. There are two mechanisms for immersion in water purity. And it's important that I mention it now. It's going to come up later. I mean, I don't know how much we're going to cover, but there are two ways that a person can be purified from water. And in Kabbalah, this is extremely significant. The first is from a mayan, from a fountain, from a source, from a subterranean source of water. A mayan, a fountain, is called mayim chayim, living waters. 
And the halacha about a mayon is, the law about a fountain is, that there are no laws. There's no restrictions whatsoever to immersing yourself in a fountain as long as you can get your whole body into it. The water that flows from a fountain, as long as it's attached to the fountain, even if it flows out of the fountain, doesn't have to be still, it could be moving. It doesn't have to have 40 measures of water, it could be a drop. If you can get a needle into a tiny little puddle that's outside the fountain, the needle, the needle was tummy, it becomes tired. A human being needs more water because they have more volume, more mass. They take up more room. But there is no inherent requirement for a minimum mikvah size in a fountain. As long as you got your whole body into the mikvah of, 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 of well water, you're 100% pure. How do you get your body into it if it doesn't have 40 so? The din is, the shit of men saw is that Gufi Shalab Abelab. That's the reason for the din. Huh? Yeah, but that's a Shari Chumis. Gufi Shalab, a mikvist, Shalosh Amis Alama. The shear of 40 saw is three cubits by a cubit. Because a human being needs four cubits. But the head you can shrink. So you need to have three cubits by a cubit. 40 saw is almost exactly a shear of. Shalosh Amas by an Amas. It's, it's an Amas by an Amas by three Amas. That's a Shev Mikveh. It's designed to accommodate a human body. So if Arizal's Mikveh didn't have Memsla, you'd love to get in. But okay, be that as it may. <laughs> Arizal's Mikveh is not Ashbeirin. It's Reichelin, because it's a Mayan. It's a fountain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it doesn't, you say it has... A hole in the rock. Yeah, but it has 40 so. I mean, you get your body into it. Just as I... Ah, well... Um, there are no laws at all that govern a Maya. The catch becomes this. The waters of a fountain flow into a river. That's where rivers come from. The problem is when water is gathered in rivers, there's a combination of two sources. A, fountains. B, rainwater runoff from snow especially. And Allah would say that whatever the majority is would determine the status of the mikveh. If more than 50% of the water comes from a fountain, it has a din of a fountain, and you can just tidal on the river plain. If, however, the majority of the waters are from rainwater, they're from snowmelt, then you would then you would have the problem of a real mikveh. And the Gemara says that there was a the, the Shmuel allowed his daughters to tidal in the mikveh, in the river, in the Pras, in the, in the uh, Euphrates, except at the end of the summer and at the end of the winter. At the end of the summer, he was afraid God forbid, they would, uh, they would drown because there was a lot of snow flow. At the end of the winter, because of the melt, the snow melt, the majority of the water was not water from a fountain. The majority of the water was from rainwater. So the mikvah was possible thing would build them what we call a mikvah today. But the, otherwise, the majority of the water of the Euphrates is fed by, by Maya and Mekipi Mivrech from fountains. And there's no halachas at all. The second kind of a mikveh is what we call today an ashboiden. Ashboiden means a hole in the ground, and the water must be stationary. It's not allowed to be moving. And there's also a shear. You have to have 40 measures of water. Memsa, 40 shear of water. Otherwise, the mikveh is not kosher. This is called the Bizeichalin, and you have to have ashboiden, and it's not the memsa. So there are two systems of mikveh. Mikveh that's called mayim chayim, living water, and then there is which could be rainwater as well. One stipulation there is in all kinds of mikveh. The moment water is put into a vessel, it's no good. If you put rainwater into a vessel, it's no good for a mikveh. And even if you then spill it back into the ground, it don't work. Water has to be 
natural. It has to be flowing on the ground, flowing from the fountain. The minute you put it into a vessel, that's why a mikveh, building a mikveh, the biggest complication of building a mikveh is how do you make a basin that's not halachically a basin. Because if it's halachically a basin, the water becomes possible the moment it enters the mikveh. So you have to build, huh? But the mikveh has tiles. Yeah. <laughs> the walls and the floor of the mikveh, do they constitute a kli? There's all kinds of halachas about how they design mikvahs that the water should never be in a keli. Water passes through pipes. Does the, is the pipe a keli? There's all kinds of halachas. Very complicated halachas. Making a mikvah is not a simple gesheft. Um, because once the water goes into a vessel, it becomes unfit to immerse itself. But the, the, that's why you pour it in, you, you don't have, if you would uh, first pour it and put it into the ground, then it would be very clean. That's right. You no, but you also don't want the mikvah itself to be a clean. Could you make a bathtub in the mikveh? A bathtub is a big, big keili. Is it a keili? If it's a keili, then it can't make it into a mikveh. If it's not a keili, you can make it into a mikveh. Listen, I'm not answering the questions. I'm simply observing the difficulties. That's why the tiles, in fact, they don't, they don't attach them with glue. Because of the problem of Kaylee, the, the biggest problem with mikvahs is not so much the tile as the pipes. How they, the pipes, the water has to come from the roof into the basement. And one of the things that they do, we, we, one of the chumas that we have is you never pour water directly into the mikvah. You pour it on the ground and allow it to spill into the mikveh. It's, it's a, no, no, the water comes from the roof down into the basement. So it doesn't go through a pipe. It goes through a half pipe. They cut a pipe in half. They put it against the brick of the home. And the water runs in such a way that it's not running on the rubber side of the keli. It's running on the stone side, on the brick side of the vessel. In addition to that, when the water comes to the basin, the basin doesn't run directly into the hole of mikvah water. It runs onto the ground and falls into. It's called meshiche. It's another way of making the mikvah more kosher. Mikvah happens to be one of those things where, besides the fact that it's very complicated, we like to adopt every chumre. By mikvah, we try to break every chumre possible. The way we make mikvahs today has every possible chumre, every yeshemin. We try to make mikvahs very, very, very kosher. Well, it either is or isn't a mikvah. If you make it, you make it right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Good, good, good. Now, anyway. Wait, wait, here am I. Where am I? Thus, the significance and meaning of mikvah depends on your kavana. Since it's true that in essence, mikvahs and the whole notion of pure and impure are higher than reason, the meaning that will attach to mikvah depends on our kavanah. On our kavanah. The rabbis therefore said, Toval. If a person toveled, and I think he wasn't having a kavanah when he toveled, it's as though he didn't tovel. The only kind of tevila which you have to have no kavanah for is tevila for chulim. In other words, if you fall into a mikvah, you can eat chulim of Arzakedish. But you can't eat truma. If you want to eat truma, you have to table with a kavana for truma. And if you table with a kavana for truma, you're tamei lekedesh. You have to go to mikvah get if you want to eat a carbon. 
And if you table the mikvah of our carbon and you want to participate in the red heifer, you have to table again. Because the kavana affects the level of purity. What you're thinking when you immerse affects how pure you are. The nevertheless. Remez yesh bedavar. There's a huge remez in the whole phenomenon of mikvah. And that is, the kshem shamachavan libi letayr. Generally when a person pays attention and focuses on the idea, I want to be purified. Kivin shetavar. Once that person immerses himself, tahir, he becomes pure. The Afalpi, although nothing has changed in their body. Kach, the same is true spiritually. Just like physically, the immersion doesn't change you, yet your intent affects a change because you went into the water. The same is true spiritually. When someone intends to purify his soul, not from being unclean because he touched a dead body. But from being unclean, meaning to be crude, coarse, unrefined. From spiritual uncleannesses. Which means people allow themselves to think of kind of stupid thoughts. And bad ethos, bad values, bad priorities. If a person decides, you know what, I'm not going to say profanity anymore. How big an evade is profanity, especially today in America, it's a big mitzvah profanity. But the fact is, as in Svarim, A, profanity is an exposure of what's happening inside, and B, profanity profanes the inside of a person. The person decides, I will not speak any more dirty words. The resolution itself is refining. The upkeep of that resolution affects your whole host. Yeah. You stop thinking like a hillbilly, you become oyster. You actually refine yourself, right? So the Rabbim says like this, Kim. Believe it. Once a person resolves in his heart, refresh to separate himself, no ace from those priorities. He just made the resolution. He hasn't lived for a week without profanity. He's decided to refine himself. and he's brought his spirit into pure ethos. He's decided not to entertain stupid and perverse value systems, what they call in our culture lifestyles. But instead to focus on value systems and lifestyles that are refined and sensitized and spiritual. The decision to prioritize those, the decision to immerse yourself intellectually, emotionally into those value systems, the Basak said, you have just been to a spiritual mikvah, a mikvah of ideas. There's a mikvah of water, there's a mikvah of an idea. The immersion in finer ideas makes you a finer person, as the mikvah in water makes you a pure person. I will spray on you, sprinkle on you pure waters. You'll be purified from all your spiritual uncleanness. From all your uh, pagan ways, I will refine you. The Rambam writes in the Mayan of Uchem, in the guide to the text very emphatically, that the pagans were very spiritual people. But uh, they weren't clean. They weren't clean. Hygienically, they were not clean. And, and they believed in filth. They believed in, uh, in, in, in disgusting things. They, 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 they saw spiritual value in things that are disgusting, like eating snakes and drinking blood. So the Ramamites, a lot of the mitzvahs were given to us to offset toyeva, abominable things. Abominable things. There's a machlikis shenim, how you translate the word toyeva. But somebody shame him say, Teva means things that are so disgusting that if Hashem wouldn't tell you they're disgusting, you'd know they're disgusting on your own. Separating yourself from perversions, from disgusting things in your mind is a tefillin t- t- amikvah. 
it's an immersion in the mikvah. So the first interpretation of the meaning and significance of mikvah is just as you table your body, you can table your mind. Decide to spend your time learning chassidus. I'll tell you a nice story. There's a yid. Today he's a big shliach. And he was once a big shliach. But in the middle he had a fall, a spiritual nefila. He took off his kapata. He became very modern. He trimmed his beard. And if you know what I'm talking about, you'll realize that for him it was a big deal. And he started to read other philosophies. And he's a brilliant guy. And he read all these philosophies and he became depressed. You know, all these ideas. And he had a yechidus with the Rebbe. And he had a yechidus with the Rebbe in the 80s when the Rebbe didn't have yechidus. It was an exception. He had been a shliach. He had been a very important shliach. When did he start The Rebbe, 1975, he stopped for locals, for visitors in 1981. This was an exception. He had yechidus with the Rebbe. And he decided he's going into the Rebbe not with a kapota. He's not going to wear a kapota. He, he stopped wearing a kapota Shabbos. He was wearing an ordinary... He stopped wearing... He would wear a business suit Shabbos. And a gatl. So he says he's not going to fool the Rebbe. He's going to walk into the Rebbe. Let the Rebbe see who he is, you know. And the Rebbe had a very special yechidus with him. And the Rebbe pushed him. He charged him. He, he infused life into him. He came out of his depression. And he, you know, today he's very successful again. But a couple of things the Rebbe told him. You know what I'm talking about? A couple of things the Rebbe told him that yechidus... No, this is no, before no, you came I on the scene this time. Huh? No, no. One of one of those one of the, I know two things that I ever told him. I heard it almost I heard it in probably eighty two, eighty three. It was Mamish fresh. The Rebbe said to him, A younger man we did said a man like you should sit a whole day and learn this. Instead of reading all these German philosophies and you know, Greek philosophies and Spanish philosophies. Another thing the Rebbe told him, the Rebbe said, Believe me, every idea, any philosophy, is found in Chassidus. You'll find everything. Of course, he didn't agree with the Rebbe. Why not? Because he didn't see all the philosophies in Chassidus. The Rebbe saw all the philosophies in Chassidus. You know why? Because he didn't read the other philosophies. He didn't have the heaviness that the other philosophies imposed. So the immersion in a finer philosophy is a, it's a purification. The ideas change your behavior, they change your life, they change your goof, they change your condition of cleanness. Okay? So did we finish our first explanation of mikvah? Turn the page. The next you have is a chinuch. And the Sefer Achinuch has two commentaries about mikvah, and I very carefully um, indicated it. You see where I did it? I made an arrow on both sides of the page and I made a double line in the middle. The reason why it is that water affects a purification of all spiritual impurity says, says the Chinuch, I am going to give you a simple, commonsensical um, interpretation. I'll give a very basic why it is water that is the selected medium for purification. It's a very interesting shot. Hang on a second. But he mentions in the course of it not only why water is the foundation of spiritual purification, but why once the water goes into a vessel, it's unfit, it's obsolete. And he says like this, I'm spiritually unclean. And I want to cleanse myself. 
says chinuch cleanses renewal. Starting over. Water, immersion in water indicates renewal. You'll see why momentarily. One should construe himself once he's immersed himself as though he were created at that moment. Born again, again right? As was the case with the whole world. When Hashem created the world, what was the condition of the world? The earth was covered completely with water. And in order to give the world purpose, Hashem had to lift the continents, which it says in Svarim, to lift the earth above the water is considered a pitera nes. Hey, Prateva, the state of the Bechai and the Rishonim, because water should be, water is lighter than earth, it should hover above it. The the offsetting of that, that the continents should rise as a nest in Hashemayim. But the condition of the world is water above the earth, so water above the earth symbolizes birth, renewal. So immersing your whole body in water. It's like your world being covered with water again, and then when the world re-emerges, the continent, your body emerges from the water, it's a new entity. Nayazach. Though the man was created at that moment. Just as the world as a whole was mayim, was completely covered with water, terem ayes adam, prior to the presence of man and continents. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of all of the water. The same is true when you go to mikveh. The uniqueness of mikveh is being completely surrounded, enveloped by water. There's nothing besides for the water. This is the, the Rebbe once said. It is two mikvehs, two mitzvahs that completely embrace you. Mikveh and sukkah. But there's a difference between mikveh and sukkah. Everybody tables and water separately. When it comes to sukkah, there's a notion of inclusiveness. Everybody can share the same sukkah. The unity of sukkah is more complicated. It's more involved in the... I understand, but each person, if the two bodies are touching, it's chitza. You have to have your own water surrounding only you. Look of gavil. A person should apply to his thought in his imagination, just as his body has been renewed by being completely enveloped in water and then emerging from the water, he should renew his actions, his behavior to be favorable, make his deeds more kosher, and be more precise, in the ways of God Almighty. Okay? V'yalkein says, for this reason also, the Gemara says, you cannot use for purification water that have that are in a vessel or have even passed through a vessel. Need to be living water. Living water is water from a fountain. gathered, but You have to be in the ground. What's called in a hole in the ground, but not in a vessel. What's wrong with tiling in a huge bathtub? And by the way, there is a concept called the halach that a keli is beyond a certain size. It's not a din of a kli. Above a mida, keli kli eight above a mida. If it's above a certain size, you don't lay. It's not carried moly You don't carry it full and empty. The halach about a vessel is a vessel is only considered a vessel. Is it just like you can carry it when it's empty? You can carry it when it's full. If a vessel is so large that if it would be full, it would be impossible to carry. So even when it's empty, it's not a cleat. 
Chanas not mean din. Certain click, certain kalim. It's trying to can't become Tommy. It's question of a mik. Right, can't become Tommy. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a click. Whatever the case is, whatever it is, but uh, don't make a mik at home. We'll leave it to Menachem and his uh, engineers. Why is it that once the water is in a vessel, it's unfit for a mikveh? That the person should envision in his thought as though the whole world were water. And he's being renewed by mehem. And when he have departed from it, in other words, you're in a body of water. But you don't want to feel like you're in a local body of water. You want to feel like the whole world is water. You put the water in a vessel. The vessel has walls. Yes, I'm in water, but I'm in a limited quantity of water. The im ye If the water is in a vessel, or ya they simply passed through the kli and then no longer in the kli. You no longer can envision by being in this water that I'm connected to the infinity of water in the world. Everything in a vessel has a limit. So the Chazal say. When the water goes into a keli, it's limiting the water. It's taking away this property of my whole world is water. And therefore, the concept of tabling in the mikveh is renewal. But you want it to be infinite waters, and it's represented by the lot of allowing the waters to go into a vessel. The second pshat, the pshat, the Rambam spoke about immersion in ideas, and thinking finer ideas makes you a finer person. He defines mikveh as being a renewal. Turn the page. Uh, no, just flip over the packet. Flip over the packet. Near the bottom, uh, I made arrows. Uh, four lines from the bottom. I want to say something more about it. The chinuch here is very bekitzet, very abbreviated, because he says, I already told you in the beginning of the parsha, which is the page we read before, the kavanah of mikveh. Here he just has one more thought. Shiesh betfila in the idea of mikveh remez a hint. El ha toivo to one who was immersing himself, and that is sheinake nafshimikolchet. You should cleanse your soul from every sin. That kimei sheteva mayim lenake is called dover mischapes behem. Just as water physically cleans physical filth, the immersion in the mikveh means you should spiritually clean spiritual filth. Meaning to say, you need to do tshuva. Going to the mikveh is a is an indicator of cleansing, not passive cleansing, proactive cleansing. I'm immersing myself in physical water, which physically cleanses me. I need to now proactively immerse myself in a spiritual event of of cleansing and refining um, by uh, doing tshuva, which is the mikveh for Avedis. This is a third commentary, a third insight into the definition and the meaning of mikveh. Okay, like I said to you, nobody should feel compelled to stay except Menachem because I'm in his home. And also, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's staying by no choice. Now, Rabbi Sai, there is a Zoyhar here. There's a Zoyhar which I printed. This Zoyhar, it's really that I am a Hemnetzadik Zayin, which speaks about tabling specifically on, on Shavuos. I'm going to skip this Zoyhar. Okay, it's here for for me to feel like I have a bigger Metzius and for to give they ate more papers to put them to California. With my card. Oh, here it is. Now, after the Zoya, you have a Rikanti. The Rikanti is page Reishut Ches, and then you have also Reishchot and Chofalaf. So, you see what I underlined? The Alkain, Tzorech, Litoir, Vemayim. 
Reishutches. He says like this. This is why a person must purify himself more. This is already more Kabbalistic. He says, Rem is This is an allusion to the supernal waters. It's the waters of kindness. Okay? I'm skipping the next line. The negative, the left, the alien mida is nikras ish, it's called fire. Mi mayim, that is separated from water. It says, Spiritual impurity comes from fire, and therefore, the purification must come from water. Which stands on the seventh step. And he enumerates, I said to you before, that there's seven levels of purity. Here he enumerates the seven steps of impurity. Did you say fire came from water? Yeah, it doesn't say yet. There's a concept of fire coming from water, concept of water coming from fire. What's relevant, what's, what's relevant to us is not that it came from fire, but that it's separated from the fire. Because it's separated from the fire, there's an impurity. Ketzad. six levels. And the purity is the seventh level. In other words, there's six sides, three dimensions, that's reality. The seventh is the place of purity. Aviyavasatuma, the encountering, the dead body itself is the first. Avatuma, the person who touches the dead body is the second. Drishnatuma, the one who touches the one who touches the dead body is the third. Sheni, the one who touches the one who touched the one who touched the body is Sheni, and this is Chulim. This is called Chulim Talas HaKedish. Chamishi Lai is Truma, the sixth one is Kaddish. Oh, many halachas. If you're Rishon Latuma, you could be Matana Tuma, you can Dama Echel Namashkin. If you're Sheni Latuma, you cannot be. In other words, the transmission of Tuma is limited. In halacha, there are two terms Tomei and Puzzle. The difference between Tomei and Puzzle means I'm impure and I can give it to you. Puzzle means I'm impure but I can't transmit it. So the halacha is that a body, a human being, and a vessel can only be an avatuma or additional tumma. I can either be the highest level of tumma or the next level. It's called addition. But if, say, you went to a Levaya, and you're an avatuma, you touch me, I'm additional tumma. I touch him, he's pure. I touch this cup, it's pure. I touch this piece of cake, it's tummy. Yeah. Food and drink can have more tumma than a human being or a vessel. More receptive. If this piece of bread were Truma, I could touch this bottle, the water in this soda, and it would touch this, and it would become a shlishi tuma. If that were a carbon, a shlishi tuma could be, a carbon could have four levels of tuma. And paraschatos, paraduma can have five levels of tuma. In other words, the holier it is, the more sensitive it is. You can eat it. But a kayan can't eat it. You can't eat it and go into the base of mikdash. And if it's, if it's, Truma, and it becomes Tame, you have to burn it. If a Kayan eats Truma and the Truma is Tame, he's, he's a terrible Avedah. He can destroy it. He doesn't know about it, that's another story, but he's not allowed to eat Truma that becomes um, Tame. It's very serious Allahs. Is this also pertaining when a body, like if you touch an instrument to a body and then that instrument becomes Tame? Then anybody who touches that instrument also picks up the tummy? No, a person cannot become tummy from a keli. Except a, a cholol, a knife, a sword, because a cholol is a chalif. Most kalim can't become avatumma. Okay, this is so complicated. It's so complicated. 
An animal has a mum, it's not tummy, as long as it's alive. When it dies, it's tummy. It's not tummy because of the mum, it's tummy because of death. Now, I want you to contemplate this. The Rekanti the says here, the Rekanti says here, I, rather enlighten this. He says, fire is tum and water is tahara. I don't know what the Rekanti means, but I'm going to speculate. But the speculation is going to mean that I'm going to offer you a compromised definition of tum. We're now entering the realm of Kabbalah. The first three interpretations we gave are nigla, are philosophy. Now entering the realm of Kabbalah. And I want you to, you know, I always do this. What is the difference, as, as far as Tum and Tada is concerned, between nigla and Kabbalah? What is the difference? How does philosophy view pure and impure? How does mysticism view pure and impure? The difference is this. As I've told you, philosophy says the whole structure of Judaism is about man and the refinement of man. Kabbalah says the structure of Judaism is not only about man, it's about the supernal man. It's about Adam Ha'elian. It's about the Lakus. In other words, philosophy says pure and impure is only in relationship to the person. Kabbalah says pure and impure are real ideas. They're tr- if there'd be no people, they'd be true. So philosophy would say, Hashem said to you to table in the mikvah, because Hashem wants you to be refined. And He's saying that when you go to the mikvah, you're refining yourself. Is there real refinement in the mikvah? No. But it affects you in a refining way. Therefore, Hashem gave this mitzvah. Philosophy views the whole Yiddishkeit, like Nitnu Aminitz, mitzvahs, it's all about man's refinement. Is there a real concept of spiritual impurity in heaven? No. There's a, there is a psychological concept of spiritual uncleanness which Hashem attaches to spiritual phenomena and says, emerge yourself in the mikvah and be purified. As opposed to Kabbalah. Kabbalah would say pure and impure happens on high as well. In Atilas, in the spiritual realms, there's connected and separated. There's strong and weak. Strong is pure. Weak is impure. And therefore, the whole notion of tahara, of being refined and purified, it's not just the human experience. There's a credibility. It's the truth to it. There's a mystical truth to being spiritually unclean or to the, the idea of spiritual uncleanness. And there's correspondingly a mystical truth to the idea of being spiritually cleansed. Okay? So I think that what the Rakanti is saying is follows. What is the difference between fire and water? Apixidus. Fire separates. Water brings together. Water has an adhesive quality. Has a teva dveikus as chasidus. The whole structure of water is to bring things together. Later on, we get the chasidus. We're going to start talking about the connection between water and tainuk and pleasure. Mayim atzmichem kolmine tainuk. But the Rikanti isn't taking it that far. Rikanti isn't saying that water is an element associated with pleasure but it's an element associated with adhesion, with union. He says, fire has to do with tumma. What's the concept? The concept is very simple. When you take anything, take any person, take any project, take anything, and dissect it, analyze it, and analyze it, and analyze it, and analyze it, and analyze it, you'll find garbage. you find what? Garbage, junk. No person is perfect. No project is without static. In the real world, there's good and bad. And if you're looking for problems, you'll find them. What do they call it in politics? 
investigations, independent counsel. It's not about it's not about impropriety. There's impropriety all over the place. It's about are the political winds permitting me to expose this person's impropriety when I got plenty of you know, I also live in a glass house. Yeah, in my own closet. But at this particular moment, people are not paying that close attention to me. So, if you're going to start dissecting people, you're going to find schmutz. But if you bring people into a group, everybody's schmutz is dissolved. Fire crumbles, separates things. The good aspects of the fire rise. What's left is ash, garbage. In a water, there's plenty of dirt. It dilutes it to the extent that it becomes water itself. It says Vekanti, fire is linked to impurity. When you, when you use Gavura, Gavura is more honest than Chesed. But Gavura is also more cruel than Chesed. Gavura is more cruel than Chesed. The Hilika Kotzker said, I was just thinking it this afternoon, the Kotzker said, a good is a nar, a good person is a fool. A klug is an apokadis. A smart person is a heretic. Unafrum is a rosh. And a, pi, a very religious person is a cruel man. You put all three together, a shtickle person, a shtickle mensch. If you're, if you're kind and smart and frum, you're a shtickle mensch. If you're only frum, you're a butcher with a with a hack with a chopping off here. He's no good. That's no good. Taif, 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 taif. Goya potatoes, Russia, Russia. A good person is going to be exploited. A smart person is always skeptical, and a religious person is always finding fault. So the Rekanti says, "Fire is tumah. This tumah, the fire will find it. Water is tare. There's tumah." the water will lift it. This is my interpretation of this account. I may be very wrong, because it's, it's, it doesn't sound sophisticated enough. But if my interpretation is correct, that Akanti is simply saying, water is a medium of compromise. You're not getting rid of the tumor. You're including it. And when you include it, it becomes pure. You isolate it, it's ugly and disgusting, like the little speck of dust on top of the soup. As long as it's in the soup, it's soup. You remove it, it's garbage. Fire, it's tumma. Fire will find filth. And in the human psyche, this is true. If you're looking for fault in a person, you'll find it. And if you're looking to forgive a person, you'll find reasons to forgive them too. Mayim is a cohesive, it's an adhesive medium. It's the nature of the existence of water is that it brings things together. You put a drop of water here and a drop of water here, it's almost a gravitational force. The two drops will merge, they'll become one drop. This tendency says Ekanti is tahare, that's purity. It's a, it's a simple, it's not very sophisticated, but it's a simple insight. And it happens to be classic Kabbalah. That's how Kabbalah explains the distinction between Chasid and Gavura. You know what Kabbalah says about Chasid and Gavura? When Gavura is good, it's better than Chasid. And when Gavura is bad, it's much worse than Chasid. Chasid can't be that good because it's compromising, and Chasid can't be that bad because it's inclusive. Gavura can be much better than Chesed because it's honest to a fault. But when Gavura is bad, it's cruel. Esav is Gavura. Yishmol is, used to be Chesed. Evidently, they, I don't know, they, the wires got crossed. Anyway, this is the first Rikati insight on Mikveh. Turn the page. Just flip over the package. No, no, no. Don't turn the page. Flip over the package. Here we go. Page Reish Chof now. This 
Shtikele is enlightening details about the mikveh. So far we spoke simply about water, water affecting purity. Now we talk about the aspects of the mikveh. And I underline three aspects. Number one, 40 saw. Number two, why the water is unfit when it's in a vessel. Number three, why did not allowed to have a chatzitza? Those are the three points that the Rikanti now explores. Chatzitza means when you touch something? When, when you, uh, there's something on your body. Vitam tefillah barboim sal epochas, the reason for immersion is 40 measures of water. Later on, the Rikanti says, that I'm not going to tell you. That's a mystical secret. So the Levush is kind enough to explain to us why you have to have 40 measures of water on the bottom. When I made the arrow, the second arrow. When water is in a vessel or is passed through a vessel is unfit and he says this is a great mystical secret to experts of Kabbalah and this is consistent to a great extent with what the Chinuch said the Chinuch said when you put water in the vessel you don't have the concept of endlessness and since the water is renewal, you want to have the experience of endlessness, and therefore Kaylee makes it unfit. He says like this, Kiyisha that a woman, and a woman means every one of us, Hadveikah ben Zugi, in her relationship with her partner, which is Hashem. Um, but she's pure, she's loyal, she has only one, right here. Yeah, she has no relation with any other person except her husband. In other words, we have no relation with any other God except for the Eibishter. They send us Keach B'Shechina. She empowers Shechina. Shechina, which is the, the supernal mis- feminine form. Shechina is feminine Lamailo. HaMakabalos Mitzinir HaTzadik that's receiving from the Tzinir, from the channel of the Tzadik. Tzadik with a Yud is Yesoid. Tzadik without a Yud is Malchus. Okay, just trust me on this. Yesif is called a Tzadik. Tzadik is Yesoid. The, the spiritual feminine is called Shechina. The feminine masculine is called Tzadik, when there's a loyalty from the feminine to the masculine, in other words, the loyalty from the person, from us, to the Eibishter, that's ideal. But when you're taking the water from a vessel, it's coming from another source. When the water comes from the rain, when the water comes from the river, when the water's on the ground, that came straight from the Eibishter. You put it in a pot, somebody else got involved. No good. And they send it, okay, where am I? It's not water that have been drawn, that have another influence, another source. When the water passes through a pipe, and a pipe, of course, is open at both ends, and let me add, it's made of rubber, and we only use a half pipe, we place it against the wall, because we're fanatics. It, it mirrors, it corroborates the mystical process, that it's coming from a higher level to a lower level, but never settling it's passing through, but never settling in a vessel. Even though it's not water from a well, it's water from rain, but still, rain, when the sense of heaven to the earth, is like the intimacy between a man and a woman. It's the time of intimacy from the Ebishter with the world. That comes through the so-called pipes of heaven. When the water goes into a vessel, there's another influence. In other words, the Rebbe hated to use an umbrella. The Rebbe used to say, rain is a blessing. You want to, you want to obstruct it. So it's, okay, so don't. So carry an umbrella, go home, and get into a pool of water. No, 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 no. You want the water to come straight from the heaven onto you. And that's the idea of not using Mayim Shuvah. This is what the, the Kanti says. This is sufficient. Huh? Never use an umbrella. Never, never. The Rebbe once told a woman who wasn't even through 
she should use an umbrella because it's a blessing that rain should fall on her. They had this mishagas. He didn't use an umbrella, and if he would have had it his way, none of us would have used umbrellas. It's very good to the hat business, you know. The guy in Kingston, what's his name? Primo, Primo, he's very into not using umbrellas. Yeah. Uh, it's good for, for the Shetel Company. For the Shetel Company, for sure. The Shetel Company, right there. They, they actually negotiate yeah. with the Abish that it should rain. Because a lot of people depend if you have silica polyester. Okay, enough. Then he mentions Chatzitza. He says, because the Tzadok Kol Gufashi, Elohim, the whole body has to go with it. So, so he adds here, yeah, before we spoke about the idea of water, inclusiveness is purity. It's such an interesting idea. Not using a vessel means you're getting it straight from heaven. Nobody else is interfering. The, then here he brings the 40 measures of water. We're going to leave it alone. Enough, enough. Turn the page. Turn the page. Now we get to the Alter Rebbe. This one. Kufnun Zayin. There we are. This page. This is when Alter Rebbe said it is the famous Kavanas HaMikveh. This is one of those cases where the Alter Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tev, made Kavanas that are inconsistent with Adizam. The Kavanas of Mikveh and the Kavanas of Shoifeh. This is Al-Tarebbe. The Al-Tarebbe goes against the Arizal. The Bavos Tosipa, I told you a few times, that the Al-Tarebbe Bar Shemta was sitting by his table, and he was teaching his Talmudim the Kavanas of Mikhil or the Kavanas of Shaifer, or both. And the Talmudim started to think, hey, it says Arizal different. Of course, nobody said a word to the Holy Bar Shemta, but they were thinking it. Of course, the Bar Shemta didn't say a word to them. But the youngest Talmud at the table, Rab Nachum, Hadanka, fell asleep. Rab Nachum Hadanka was a Tzadik Gomer. A Tzadik Gomer says to himself, stay awake. He stays awake. And he can't keep his eyes open. His eyes are like lead. And he falls asleep. And he sees heaven. And all the Nishamas are running. He says, where are you running? Where are you running? And he saw Baal Shem Tev is going to say Tayyip. So he runs also. He comes to a huge hall full of Nishamas. And he gets himself a good spot. And the Baal Shem Tev gets up and says the exact same Tayyip that he just heard before he fell asleep. About Kavanas HaMikveh and Kavanas HaTkiyas. There's two places where Hashem has different Kavanas. So a young man gets up with a black beard and starts arguing with the Baal Shem Tev. And the Baal Shem Tev argues back. They argue, 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 argue. And the young man with the black beard says, you're correct. And Amnachmadenka wakes up. And the Baal Shem Tev says, Amnachmadenka says, no, so who's right? <laughs> no, so who's right? That's a Baal Shem Tev mice. <laughs> it's got everything in it. A Baal Shem Tev mice. The Nachman, the grandfather of Nachman Dresslevet, the Nachman Merdank. There's a whole part of this, still part of that story of how he gets there in the first place. Yeah. In any case, the Kvetch, the Altarebad here, which we didn't have in the Rikanti, is that he doesn't say that waters are a unity, he says waters are the source of pleasure. And the whole idea of mikveh is that you put yourself into an environment of pleasure and it repels pain. There's a very interesting marshal here. He goes into a whole marshal. He says, basically, if you're a very, very fine person, you can't suffer somebody else's pain. Not only can't you suffer your own, you can suffer somebody else's. If you're a man who's poor, you can tolerate somebody else's poverty. But when you're rich and you watch poverty by somebody else, this is written here clearly, you can't take it. And the more f- rich you are, the less you can tolerate somebody else's poverty. When you see somebody else's poverty, you have to get rid of it. So he says, Mayim is Tainuk, pleasure. It's a very high source. And the idea of Mayim is Tainuk is very similar to what I said before. The Tezantanya, chapter 1, Mayim Matzmichim called, what is the source of all pleasures? Because what is the experience of pleasure? Immersion. When you experience a pleasure, you get lost in it. Just like water has this characteristic 
of bringing things together. Right? What does pleasure do to the person? It makes you weak. It makes you weak. It makes you weak. Right? In Tanakh, there's a story about a person who wanted to kill somebody else. So they gave him a lot of pleasure. And then killed him. Because pleasure weakens you. Pain empowers you. Pain focuses you. Pleasure weakens you. You're lost in it. That's why Hasidah says pleasure and will are a cause and effect and a dichotomy. The pleasure motivates the will, but the pleasure offsets the will because will is urgency, will is power, will is anger, will is determination. Pleasure is euphoria. So the pleasure motivates the will or the will culminates in pleasure, but when you go from one to the next, you cancel out the other. When you wanted something and you got it, you can't imagine how you did it because the moment you acquired it, you're weak. Because pleasure envelops you. The urge turns off the circuit, right? Pleasure embraces you. And one of the things that happens when you're embraced by pleasure is you can't tolerate pain. When you're out there working and you hit your head, you're just like a worker. You used to be before you became a big businessman. And you have other people working. You slam your finger with a hammer. Big deal. Right? But if you're Yeshiva Bachar, who slams his finger with a hammer, out. It's not because you... When you're in that world, you don't feel the pain the same way. When you're a mufunak, when you're a mu'unig, you, you, you can't tolerate the pain. It says Hasidus, immersion in water means immersing yourself in spiritual pleasures. It pushes away pain. It pushes away tumah. It can't tolerate things that are not spiritually clean. So here, the water is not representative of dilution. It's embracing. It's, making, it's bringing you in. And bringing you in, not just making your bad less because there is so much good around. It's pushing the bad out. In other words, the difference between what the Altareb is saying and what the Rekanti is saying, in my view, is that Rekanti is simply saying that water dilutes the Tumah. doesn't get rid of it. Which is called the sweeping of strength with kindness. This is called Chesed is kindness. Tainug Pleasure is actually Gavura. It says in Hasidus, honey comes from Gavura, not from Chesed. Einag, you want to sweeten Gavura, it's for real. You have to have a source of Gavura. When you sweeten Gavura with Chesedim, you're diluting them. And it seems to me that that's the Rekanti's position. The Alter Rebbe says, waters are getting rid of Tumah. It's not, it's diluting the Tumah. It's such a powerful goodness, it expels it. It can't stand it. It pushes it out. In other words, you're immersing yourself in an experience of pleasure from godliness. Anything that's not good, it just it's thrown up. It just, it's you know, it's like you're in a very good environment and you eat some bad fish. You throw it up. It just doesn't work. The, the, the goodness is so overwhelming, it gets it out of the system. So it seems to me that this is deeper than the Rikanti. Because this is not making the Gavura less. It's pushing it out. The goodness is of such a quality, it just exposes, it dispels the evil. I don't have time to read this. What is the essential difference between the Arizal and the Balsanto? Oh, I have no idea. It's Kavonis, it's Shemis. I started to look it up and I said, I'll save it. I'll leave it for you. No, 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 no. Now, then on the next page, page 318, there's more stuff. He speaks about Memsaw on the right side of the page. And at the top of the left side of this page, he speaks about Mayim Shu'uzim. But I'm going to skip it all. Okay? Then you have a Samar I'm skipping this too. This is homework. I, I just want to get you... You know what? 
The rest of this book, you have more Alta Rebbe, Rebbe Rashad from Samachvov, and the Rebbe. There, I just want to say two things about the Rebbe speaks about Mikveh, which we haven't yet spoken about. The first is the classic notion. I printed over here three or four Sikhs. I would like to make special mention of the last one. I would like to encourage everybody to get a chance to read the last page. Page 108. 108, 109, and 110. And maybe I'll even touch on it. But there are simple, I want to just add two more points. The first point is that the Hebrew word Tvila is Isis Habitl. The Hebrew word Tvila, immersion, means to become nullified. Surrounding yourself by water means losing yourself. Surrendering yourself. In other words, so far we've talked about the effect of the water on you. Now we're talking about the effect of you putting yourself in the water. Putting yourself in the water means you're surrendering. Bittle. I'm unclean. My uncleanness is rooted in what? In my separateness from Hashem. My weakness. My ego. The immersion in water. Being, allowing yourself to, be, to surrender to the water. In other words, surrendering to the Eivishter, who is the source of that water, who is the water is representative of, takes away the ego. Take away the ego, the impurity that was able to touch or, or, or draw from you has been eliminated. It's a different idea. It's not the same. It's not dilution. It's not called Amtokas Achsadim Gavudas. It's not repelling the Gavuda because of her. the two ideas I mentioned before. It's a whole, because now it's not about the water affecting you. It's about you allowing yourself to enter the water. And the last point is the most fascinating point of all. And that is what the Gemara says in Chulin, Real Tvila is in fire, not in water. That's everything we just said about fire, water. And everything terrible that Akanti said about water, about fire, the Gemara says, And I'll give you Bikits and Imrits. The Halacha says that you type of something in water, you purify it. But there are certain things that can never be made pure. An earthenware vessel becomes Tameh, to break it. Can't, there's no such thing as purifying an earthenware vessel. Cannot be. Just like in Isra you never get the taste out of an earthenware vessel. You can never get the tumor out of an earthenware vessel. Why? It's a very complicated issue. It's a very, very complicated issue. Absorbs. But, it, okay, that absorbs taste, fine, but spirituality, why is an earthenware vessel any worse than a vessel made of glass or made of metal? And the irony is, a vessel made of stone can never become tummy. Never. Never. A vessel made of earth, but it wasn't baked in a, in a potter's furnace, can never become tummy. A vessel made of glolim. What's the fancy word for glolim? The nice, the edel word. Uh, dung. Can never become tummy. Never. And an earthenware vessel, it's virtually the same material, but it's baked in an oven to prepare it for use. Once it becomes tummy, there's no tahara. I, I have a theory about it. I have a theory about it. Um, and it has to do with the fact that earth, earthenware is a cheap material. And because it's a cheap material, the only reason for its existence is for its usefulness. In other words, when you make a vessel out of gold, if it's not a vessel, it's gold. When you make an earthenware vessel, a vessel out of earth, if it's not a vessel, it's nothing. Its entire identity is its usefulness. In Lashna Hasidus, it's a tzura. It's what it is, what, it, what its purpose is. If you take away the purpose of the earthenware vessel, there's no vessel. You take away the purpose 
from a golden vessel. It's gold or silver, even glass. As of, you can use it for different things, to scrape, right? Glass has different uses. Um, therefore, since an earthenware vessel is only its usefulness, usefulness is not a thing. Usefulness is an idea. So you can't fix that. You, you cannot correct something spiritual. When you're tabling a golden vessel in a mikveh, because it became tame, you're tabling the gold. When you're tabling an earthenware vessel, you're tabling it's the reciprocal, its ability to hold. The earth is nothing. The reciprocal is also nothing. So there can't be any tahara. With one exception. Put the earthenware vessel back into the oven that you made it in the first place. Heat up the furnace to the same temperature that you heated up the first time. You can purify it. You know why? Because the old vessel has gone. This is a new one. So the Gemara says that when you're purifying something by tabling it in water, even though the Chinuch told us that the notion is renewal, the renewal is only affecting it to some extent. And in, if my interpretation is correct, you're renewing the matter of the vessel, not the idea of the vessel. When you take that vessel, put it into an oven, you don't have to table it, you don't have to fix it. What was tummy is dead. What now exists is brand new, it never existed before. That's why when a person dies, we have to table a river of fire. To table the table of fire nowadays ain't such a good idea, right? Not mathematically, not psych- psychologically or psychosomatically, nor physiologically, physiologically nor audiologically with a T. Um, <laughs> when, when the Shabbat dies, you have to table in the middle of fire because water renews, but on to some extent. Fire is, makes a completely new material. So the Rebbe says, what's the nimshal of fire? The Rebbe says, he explains, what's the idea of fire? What's the idea of fire? The Rebbe says, fire is Mesidus Nefesh. And there's a lot of details in the Rebbe Sichas. But one of the things he says is, one person goes into fire. The din is, when you're tabled in a mikveh, you don't become pure until you emerge from the mikveh. It's one of those weird halachas. But the halacha that you become pure when you emerge from the mikveh doesn't require you emerge completely. You poked your pinky out of the mikveh, you're pure. So the Rebbe says, one yid, one yid, tables in fire. One yid goes on and says, nefesh. It's like the pinky of Klal Yisrael going into the water and emerging. The whole Klal Yisrael has been purged. The whole Klal Yisrael. He says, one yid in Russia, gate of Mesides Nefesh. The whole Klal Yisrael is brand new. A fire message. 